everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 48, the command line episode, recorded April 15th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Uh, this week we're going to talk about, this was uh, something submitted by a listener, and we'll get to that in a minute, but we're going to talk about the uh, the command line essentials, the things for which there simply aren't good GUI options. We're going to make the GUI kid insane today. Yeah, I won't have much to contribute. And the GUI kid is Mr. Seth Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good to be here. Good. Glad to have you back with us. Yes, what is this, three in a row? And, of course, the command line godfather, who is just chomping at the bit to do this one, uh, <laughs> Mr. Chris Neves. Hey, Chris. I'm doing great, guys. How's things today? Were you in the Easter candy again today, Chris? You're a little hyped up over there. Um, Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Did I do a good cat eating the canary look? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, okay. My kids have been... Uh, they're already tired of candy and they want other things you know can we have some dessert well you've got some easter i don't want candy anymore <laughs> you're, you're making me crazy kids um all right so as i mentioned in the show opener there today is officially tax day of course it's a sunday uh here in the u.s so uh, actually i think the april 15th was a sunday everywhere on the planet but uh they're just parts, parts of the world where it's not sunday anymore uh, but uh, April fifteenth is is the day that uh, tax returns, federal tax returns are done are due in the U.S. So this is the day um, where a weekday you would see lines at the post office before midnight around the block for people getting their uh, tax returns in before the midnight postmark. But since today is a Sunday, it'll be tomorrow. So and April sixteenth will be the day. Tomorrow is a holiday in the District of Columbia, so the seventeenth is the actual date this year. Oh, for everybody or just in D.C.? For for everybody. If the if that day in the District of Columbia is a holiday, then that's what the government uses for determining tax day. I did not know that. So uh, if you're an online filer, you can file at 1159.59 on Tuesday, and you're good to go. If you're a paper filer, you've got to have a postmark stamp. And generally, the way the way the post uh, uh, posted post offices—that's what they're called—around here do it is they'll have uh, at the major ones. You'll have to drive like where I live. You'll have to, you'd have to go to Dallas to do it. You'd have to go to one of the major post offices, and they'll have this um, line of like really like mail dumpsters, and you just kind of drive through and you hand it to somebody who tosses it in, and thousands and thousands of people will get there, and then at at midnight. They like lock the doors and, and you're gone. So everything that makes it in there by that time, they postmark as exactly midnight. Even if you got huh. it there at, at 8 p.m., they postmark it at midnight on that day. It's 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 oh. kind of fun to watch actually. All these, <laughs> uh, it's you know you get this line of people, especially around like 11:50, and and somebody's 50th in line, and they know they're not going to make it. But they're they're still honking their horn madly anyway, hoping that all these people, this mass of steel and humanity in front of them, will somehow dissipate if they honk their horn loud enough, and they'll be able to get in there. <laughs> and that's why I file my taxes as early as I physically can. Yeah, or or just you know, punt and file a return. I mean, an extension. If if you're going to be, if if you have already waited that day, just file an extension. Really. But even if you owe taxes, you will owe interest starting from that date. So That's true. filing an extension doesn't mean that you don't have to pay your taxes then. There's yeah, Seth, it, it should be known Seth uh, spent, what, five years doing tax returns for people. Well, my first official job was uh, as yeah. a tax preparer. So. so, And when you file an extension, there has to be a check in, in place because you, your taxes are due that day. So you need to make a down payment of some sort on your taxes with the extension. Right. Go get the form 1040V and send it in with your payment. <laughs> 1040V. <laughs> but you got two extra days this year. So for you procrastinators out there, you've got you've got a whole 48 more hours to procrastinate. See, I, so I'm not starting mine yet. So <laughs> <laughs> I did mine. Uh, I, I I was really early. I did mine a, a week ago. Wow. Uh, yeah, it is early. And I love doing it online because I sat down at like 415 and by five o'clock, I was done. Filed, just it's awesome when you use uh, 
you know, software or uh, I use an online service, and it's just done. It's great. Tax Act Online for your free federal return. Oh, really? Is it free? Uh, their basic one oh, yeah, is yeah. free. The one I use is H&R Block, and there, if you, it's like a 1040 easy is free, but anybody else, uh, it's like 35 bucks and well worth right. it. Right. I had some dividend. I had some stock for a couple of years, and H&R Block wouldn't let me do a free one, but Tax Act did. So, hmm. See, I just took all my stuff and the small business stuff down to the H&R Block guy and said, here, fix it. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine, his uh, father-in-law is a, a, a CPA. So he gathers up all his receipts and goes and drops them off, and the guy takes him, him and his wife out to dinner. So it's like that's the cost of their uh, taxes is they get bought dinner. Uh, that's a that's a pretty sweet deal if you can get it. Yeah, yeah, I'm kidding. And so then all the, all the the little gnomes just make things happen, and and a few weeks later they get a check in the mail. Yeah, I wonder if my little brother will do that. He's going to be a certified. He's going to be a CPA here soon. So, I wonder if my yeah, little brother so, would do that. <laughs> so you just you just tie him down and give him noogies until he agrees to give you a free tax return <laughs> or wedgies or you know whatever else i can think of and then when you're doing 15 to life in prison for uh, uh falsifying a, a federal document you can uh, rethink the wisdom of that decision yeah, maybe <laughs> all right so what else we got there uh something that a bunch of listeners sent me so i have to mention it um i, I wasn't going to mention it because i just think it's a little hokey uh, but uh, if you're not familiar with BaconSalt.com, BaconSalt.com is awesome. They have awesome products. I have uh, the Bacon Salt um, Mega Pack that they offer. It comes with all, all the different flavors of bacon-flavored salt plus bacon mayonnaise. Oh, that stuff's awesome. Awesome. Bacon-aise. Uh, uh, it even came with bacon lip balm. Yes, bacon lip balm. I have bacon lip balm. Um, wow. But their newest uh, product is the Bacon Coffin. Yes, you heard me right. The Bacon Coffin. I've put the link in the chat room, and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, you know, that's that's taking guerrilla marketing a little too far. Uh, it's relatively inexpensive for a coffin. It's only $3,000, uh, and yeah. it's, it's a coffin with bacon painted on it. It doesn't really even look much like bacon. But uh, No, it looks more like a piece of wood. <laughs> yeah. It, it's sort of like meat flames. You know, it's like a flame yeah. job on a car, but in the in the color and tone of meat. But anyway, check it out, baconsalt.com for the bacon coffin. You know, I had their bacon croutons. I ate the entire bag. I did feel a little sick afterwards. <laughs> so. No salad needed, right? Right. <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. Uh, I don't know if I could even stomach that much bacon. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, it's the flavor in the croutons and yeah. uh i think what made right. me sick was after i ate them all i then you know all of the the spice stuff that falls in the bottom you turn I that did down that too <laughs> and i think that's what did it um but yeah i was a little i was like i don't really want any more of these right now or maybe ever <laughs> but <laughs> see that's my favorite part of the cheetos bag is when you turn it up at the end right and then the, the crumbs fall in your eyes and everything that's awesome <laughs> i guess i i'm not doing something right because i don't ever eat that stuff anymore so uh yeah the ironic thing about bacon salt is it's a salt-free product (laughs) but it's called bacon salt um yeah there's a there's another bacon flow chart that's making its way around facebook uh, it's hilarious uh, i love it that chris just put in the notes or seth one of you two that was me um there, there are a number of bacon flow charts in the world but this one is simple enough i'll read it should you eat that bacon you move on to, do you want to feel like angels are fro- frolicking on your taste buds? If the answer is yes, <laughs> eat it. If the answer is no, you've clearly ne- never tasted bacon. Eat it. If the answer is yes, but I'm afraid bacon will kill me, the question is, are you a cow- coward? If the answer is, I am not, then eat it. If the answer is yes, I'm a coward. Bacon will turn you into a true warrior. Eat it. So, there you go. The That's bacon, awesome. The latest bacon f- flowchart. So uh, Chris was uh, actually a little behind getting to the show tonight to record, and he said he had a good reason for it. Family togetherness. Chris, what were you up That's to? That's right. Uh, t- well, today is the uh, month, the uh, monthly anniversary of my wife goes off to Sam's Club and Costco and buys all sorts of stuff from um, those places. So 
the boys, me and my son, and then my my wife's friends, um, Vicky. There, rewind that. My wife and her friend Vicky go off to Sam's Club with my daughter, and they go out and buy a bunch of stuff. So then the boys, me, my son, Vicky's husband Chris, and their two kids are sitting at home doing nothing. So today was we started the monthly tabletop gaming session. We started at nine o'clock this morning, and we just well, I just wrapped it up before I showed up here. Uh, otherwise, we probably would be keep going until probably late this evening. But it was fun. That's the way uh, Thanksgiving was when I was a kid. We'd all go up to the aunt and uncle or grandmother, whoever, whatever the relation was to you. We'd all go up to their house and we'd stay there for like the whole three days of Thanksgiving, playing Axis and Allies. And, and so it'd be a bunch Love of Love Axis and yeah, Allies, a bunch of teenage and preteen and and young twenty something boys sitting around. Uh, I'm bombing you, and you know it was it was awesome. But they, they were legendary. It would go on for days. Yeah. Well, I have a feeling this is going to last a long time. We're playing a game called Dead Rain. It's a, a well, that sounds wholesome and family oriented. <laughs> it's a zombie apocalypse survival game. Of course, it is. Of course, um, and it's based on I don't remember what this, the frame is, but it's it's a D and D esque type game. So you have dice and you do stuff along those lines, but instead of being wizards and warlocks and gnomes and elves and everything, they're zombies, zombies. that you go out and blow apart and have fun with i don't understand the recent fascination with zombies i've always liked zombies personally so uh, this is old hat for me but it's still pretty fun all right and the next one uh i'm not sure who put this in the notes there 1.5 million pages of ancient texts to be made of accessible online come on mark you didn't know that was me <laughs> that was i mean you know, i'm like a I'll, I enjoy history. It's like a hobby of mine. And it kind of ties in with open source and the whole freedom type thing. Uh, a foundation provided a grant for the University of Oxford and the Vatican. And they're going to collaborate and digitize 1.5 pages of rare and ancient texts dating from like the 16th century and earlier. It might take up to four years to finish, but it was kind of cool. So, uh, you know, it's not, it's a lot of uh, Christian and Hebrew stuff, but then there's also just some old ancient manuscripts. So you can actually go online and look at them and search through them and stuff. So uh, they've announced that they're starting it, so it's not like it's there yet. I just thought it was something interesting, and I wanted to bring some culture and enlightenment to our everyday Linux audience. Well, you know, we already we covered the bacon, so right, that's we're, right. We're good now. And somebody might wonder why ancient texts always seem to be religious text, and that's simple. It was hard to record something back then, and uh, only things that uh, were considered vitally important got done, and people considered their religious writings vitally important. And they you cared know, about it, them today. Today, when it's easy to puke out a blog post. Uh, we record our daily lives ad nauseum, and I wonder what future historians will look like. There's just glut of information, billions and billions and billions of pages of of literally useless information. Um, you know, pictures of of the remnants of the steak that you ate that was apparently really good, um, or how many sandwiches you ate. Right. But back in the day, it was hard to record something, and even harder to store it long term. So. It was only things that were of deep significance that, uh, or to the people who did the recording that got recorded. Could you imagine somebody finding that bacon flowchart in like a thousand <laughs> years and go, "What was this bacon?" Right. Where the was, fascination with zombies. Yes, yes. Apparently, they were afraid of some zombie. Oh, oh what, just reminding me of it. I, I watched like eight minutes of a show yesterday on television on, I think, late at night, I was slipping through, Reign of Fire. Either of you ever heard of that? Oh, that's the dragon movie. Yeah, Christian with, uh, Bale, Matthew McConaughey. Oh. Yep. Uh, basic story is the some people are digging a tunnel, and they wake up a den of dragons who lay waste to the entire planet within about a decade. Sorry. Um <laughs> my wife was watching it with me and uh, she made the comment that there's a lot of sexy man on that screen too bad they aren't doing anything more interesting <laughs> <laughs> well yeah it was uh 
you know, I mean, it was kind of the premise of the movie was they they were born and they grew to maturity so fast. Once they initially got out, you couldn't kill them faster than they could breed, um, and so that's how come they were able to eventually overwhelm the world. All right, that's more than I cared to know. Wow, yeah. I didn't even I didn't get that much when I watched the first twenty minutes of it. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and, uh, I've watched it. Apparently, the FBI has trouble with Google Swipe Lock. I've heard the story too. It's funny. Yes, uh, there is a there's a pimp, and he was running his business off of a smartphone, and he was already on probation apparently for doing it before. But um, when they confiscated his phone, they couldn't figure out his swipe pattern, and so they tried whatever much and they locked it out so they subpoena googled and the judge granted the subpoena and if and google is supposed to turn over the subscriber's name address social security number account login and password basically all email and personal contact information the time and duration of every web page visited all text messages any email addresses and verbal and or written instructions for overriding the pattern lock installed on the phone as well as all search items internet history and gps data that google has stored for the phone wow. and the judge granted that so Dang. you know working in education uh it, we often talk about archiving emails uh, there, there's rules about that sort of stuff and my thinking has always been along the lines of uh i don't really need to archive it we're using google apps and should uh, a subpoena be issued uh google will have all that stuff whether i'm archiving it or not and this this just proves it to me that uh, they have all his emails going back, you know, for whatever. Uh, he didn't have to archive it. I don't have to spend money on archiving. Uh, Google's doing that, and all it takes is a subpoena to release it. <laughs> and so I don't need to pay, um, you know, whatever company money to archive my emails for legal purposes. Okay, that's uh, that's enough of that. So uh, um, on to some Linux news. Actually, I, I, the first thing, I would, I'm not going to put a link to it or anything. I'm just going to mention it because this was big news in the tech world that broke in the last week. Uh, Instagram, the ability to uh, take uh, good photos and ruin them uh, is worth a billion dollars, apparently. Facebook bought Instagram, Instagram for one billion dollars. And if you're not familiar with Instagram, all it does is provide a series of about 20 filters that ruin any good photograph. Uh, and then let you post it online. So uh, if, you, if you're a hipster and you're into ruined photographs, uh, clearly it's a big deal. And Facebook thought it was worth a billion dollars. Can you imagine how that meeting must have gone? You know, Zuckerberg is talking to him. Uh, how about half a million dollars? Oh, come on. Don't insult my intelligence. Half a million? Ridiculous. Uh, I mean, half a billion. Uh, anyway. One billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's all sorts of, of questioning. What are they going to do with it? Why did they want it? Why was it worth a billion dollars? Uh, just, I think, I think that Instagram, when we look back on it, is going to be the CB radio of the 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 twenty teens. You know, people are going to look at that and say, "What the heck were we thinking?" Yeah. I, I, I've never got into Instagram personally. I thought it was a kind of a silly thing, but evidently Facebook thinks it's worth it. So. Well, maybe I Mark's maybe got a better the, idea for it than we do. The founder of Instagram maybe had some blackmail and a billion dollars <laughs> is what it took yeah. to buy him off. Mark, I've maybe. got this photo. I could give every Instagram right. customer. Whoa, oh, that's one a, billion That's a good dollars. thought. All right, so look at what was uploaded to Instagram servers, Zuckerberg. <laughs> um, yeah, it, yes, it does have a crappy sepia filter on it, but we can still tell who it is and what they're doing. And uh, we'll delete that for a billion dollars. That's something I hadn't heard before. Yeah. That's oh, a good thought, you know. though. All right. So uh, the next one uh, is, is something we've sort of talked about before. Uh, demand for Linux skills sets a new record this month, according to Dice.com. Wow. Yes, uh, That's awesome. And yeah, not awesome at cool. the same time. It, yeah. Apparently... Um, it was uh, kind of announced by the Linux Foundation and Dice.com said there were over 12,000 positions, which was a 17% increase from the same time last year in jobs uh, that were available for Linux. So, you know, again, 
don't think of Linux as some afterthought just because we don't have a big desktop share. There's big money to be made in supporting Linux, um, just like there is in supporting Windows or anything else. So, of course, that's the 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 almost textbook Linux line right now. You know, record growth. We're now at point zero five percent. Right. But you know, a, a couple of doublings. What if you take a penny <laughs> and double it? At the end of the year, you'd have like a billion dollars if you double it every day or something. So, uh, and uh, the new version of, of uh, VirtualBox was released with some uh, some new goodies to it. Uh, primarily, uh, some important bug fixes. Yeah, right. And there's been a the couple link- of those bugs that bit me. So it's nice to see that some of those things have got fixed. Yeah, and they they included instructions for installing it on um, Ubuntu 12.04 which is, you know, going to be their upcoming long-term release cycle. Uh, so I just, you know, I thought it was kind of important to throw out there. Yeah, they're, uh, they have their own PPA now, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, you can add it to the list and, and get updates using uh, the, the, the system manager, or if you're Chris, using sudo apt-get. That's right. <laughs> um, I, I actually have it as an as a, um, alias. I don't even have to type in the whole apt-get hyphen or app hyphen git blah 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 it's just pseudo um what do i have there i have it as a uh what is it ggg something like that so it's pseudo ggg and it does an app get update and an app get upgrade at the same time i just uh highlight right click copy control c <laughs> there you go because we've often said that it's, it's a safe thing to do to copy directly from web pages into command lines well from my trusted web pages so yes. i have things i trust that i will do um but you know again your experience may vary and i'm a professional <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so something like that uh, uh train professional closed course do not attempt at home there you go um, amen and uh, Verizon launches, quote, faster than wired broadband for home. Yeah, um, apparently they are doing this thing where you uh, they install like an antenna on your house. And if you're in their cell phone coverage area um, where it's kind of like how you could tether from your cell phone but instead you have your own antenna and it's kind of good because out where I live I checked uh, on their website and I'm in the coverage area and it, so if I wanted to I could do that um, so the good news is it gives me another option because I don't get DSL or cable or really high speed internet the bad news at least I think it's bad news is they have it set up on a metered platform you get something like ten megs or ten gigs for sixty dollars a month. Right. Yeah, their thirty gig plan is a hundred and twenty bucks a month cool. with an additional ten bucks per gig of data. Yeah. So, so uh, it's basically it's their cell plan. They're essentially giving you uh, a little MiFi card for the house, basically. Yeah. Uh, right. This but was this was sort of the promise of WiMAX for years to come, uh, years in the past. Uh, you know, it was all about uh, this wireless technology that would obviate the need for copper all over the place. And uh, LTE and WiMAX sort of merged, if I understand the way that works. And so that it's finally, after almost two decades, uh, coming to reality. It's just very expensive and uh, capped. And, and, you know, data caps are just the way it's going to be you know our friends in australia their home connections have been data capped from the beginning they don't understand why we whine about it yeah well and i know it's probably not going to be covering my area anytime soon because i don't even have i think we have base 3g we don't even have any of that higher speed stuff so uh you guys enjoy that high speed and i'll sit back in my stick house and uh (laughs) suck on my uh, horrible horrible connections I only have 3G at my house, but it's like, um, I think it's going to be a little bit better than one of the MiFi cards because looking at what I've seen, it's more something like the size of a coffee can. So maybe with the better antennas, you would get a little better throughput than a little MiFi card, possibly. Yeah, but it's the same technology, just a bigger antenna, uh, a higher dB antenna. Uh, and then the next uh, last bit of our Linux news is uh, Ubuntu is dropping Kubuntu. We knew it was coming. Uh, they're moving. Uh, they're th- sort of throwing everything at Wayland and and Unity in the future. 
And now they have officially said that uh, Kubuntu official support is going away. It'll still be a community distribution, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. And uh, the article actually said that Blue Systems, which is a company I've never heard of, they've already announced that they're going to pick up the Kubuntu developers. Um, so the distribution doesn't go away. It is just a no, it's no longer an official canonical, canonical distribution. It is now a community distribution. So, you know, it's one of those whenever somebody comes on board, they have a big plan, they're going to revolutionize the world and as their business matures and grows, they start focusing on what they want to do. You know, you can make the point that that's all Canonical is doing. They're they're making they're focusing in on what they're going to do. So, they'll put all their irons in one basket and be able to go in the same direction and what other business yes. synergistic they're terms. synergize. Yeah. Yes. You know, so, so it could be good or could be bad. I, I think it's probably good for the company, and it's probably good for Ubuntu as well. Yeah. So just to be a little fun here, how many mixed metaphors can you throw at us there, Seth, on that one? <laughs> I'd have to start over. I lost count. <laughs> to boldly mix metaphors where no one has split infinitives before. There you go. Um, no, I think it's kind of a – I'm mixed on this one because I'm a – Kubuntu fan. I love it a lot um, because of, obviously, it's KDE. Um, I, I kind of wish that Canonical would at least leave a little bit of their support with them, but I understand that they do need to, to fine-tune their own systems before they can grab any more horses to put in their reign, so to speak. Yeah, speaking of metaphors. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, Earl Wallace in the chat room asks a question that we've answered before, but one that we should probably uh, take a second look at. He says, what do you guys think of Unity? Um, when it first came out, we were pretty negative about it. We did a show uh, talking about uh, user interface, and we pretty much said Unity sucked balls. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> Basketballs. Uh, but we, uh, uh, it's it's gone through a few iterations since then, and we probably need to take a good hard look at it and do an episode on it in the future. I, I like it for my netbook. I don't like it on a big full-size desktop, but... I like it for the netbook. Yeah, and that's that was pretty much what we said, is it's designed to go on a tablet, basically, and they're shoehorning. Same thing Windows is doing, or Microsoft is doing with Windows 8, is they're shoehorning a, uh, a tablet OS into a desktop and hoping nobody notices. And everyone has. Right. Um, personally, I think Unity is a big pile of steaming dog poop, but uh, we'll see how it goes on the next rendition. Right. So we're going to, we're going to reserve judgment. <laughs> right. Nothing um, but okay, fair so and open-mindedness. Yes, cuz we uh, we are fair and even-handed and uh only uh uh say that which is uh well thought out on this show. Sometimes. Yes. <laughs> okay, so on to the uh, topic at hand. This was a, a forum post by a fellow by the name of Spork Saber, best name ever. Um, and Spork Saber uh, says in, in the, his forum post, several episodes back, someone made a comment that with Linux, you can use the GUI for most things, but you still may need a command line for some things. I propose this. Find something that for the average user, uh, I think typical Windows user, is done in the command line that cannot be done through the GUI. And then uh, the Linux ghost follows up with a couple of uh, options uh, that I've put in the notes, and we'll talk about those. So this was the opportunity to uh, turn the command line godfather loose and say, find us stuff that you simply can't do with the GUI. Or maybe maybe I'll even stretch it a little farther and say, can't do as well with the GUI. And then I, I posted the, the challenge to the guys, um, prove Chris is full of crap. When he says something can't be done in the command line, find a command line app that does it. So it's a it's a it's a it's a battle royale. We're ready to rumble here on Everyday Linux. So uh, Chris, I'll just let you take it away. What is your first function that you think absolutely cannot be done without the the GUI? Uh, let's see. The first thing I would probably throw out. Um, do I have to have the command in my head to use it? Um. No, I can edit it in later. <laughs> okay. Well, the first one I'm going to say, um, the mass resizing of pictures can be done through the command line 
in a few strokes. Okay. How, lo how long does it take a GUI person to resize photos? Uh, well, in Linux, I don't know the answer. In Windows, Earphone View will do it in a few clicks. Uh, but in Linux, I don't know. I know that there is some, uh, probably some GIMP foo that you could run, but that's essentially the command line. Yep. So I, for, I'm tentatively going to give you credit for that. <laughs> that would so be my to, first one I'll throw. What would you use for that? Would you use a uh, uh, FFmpeg or, or GStreamer or what? No, I don't even know. What would you you'd use for that? There's a couple of them. Um, GStreamer would probably do it. Um, FM, FFM, MPEG would do it. Um, and there's one off the top of my head. I know, I remember using it a long time ago when I was resizing. I think I had 60 photos I was trying to resize at once for a website. And I can't remember it off the top of my head what, what the command was, but it was like this command pointed at the directory and give it the dimensions, and it just went clunk, and they were all done. There's a um, there's a, a PHP function that does that. Yep, that a, I'm trying no. to remember. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. Um, but this one was a built-in tool already in Linux because it's being used from like uh, I have GNOME because I have GNOME automatically does resizing to do thumbnailing. And I think it was so, the I have GNOME or is the the base program that. You issue it a command line string, and it automatically resizes everything and copies them to a new location on the uh, uh, on the hard drive. So, uh, doing a quick Google search because uh, Chris pulled this out of out of his uh, head without any pre -no prior notice here. Image Magic uh, is the uh, recommended command line tool to do that. That sounds about right. That might be one of them. Um, let's see. We have Kevin in the chat room says X in view will uh, batch resize fairly easily Windows and Linux. Nice. There you go. Eat that. Uh, I don't know what XNView is, uh, but apparently it's a cross-platform GUI app that will do that. <laughs> Boo. <-yah. laughs> See, I'm standing up for the GUI kid tonight. Yeah, because well, he should be able to stand up on his own. <laughs> I I'm cowering in a corner in a fetal position <laughs> anytime the command line comes up. Yeah, and I actually probably would do uh, I, I'd probably do it through GIMP is is how I would do it just because that's the tool I know and like. Um, so I'll throw one out there that was uh, uh, posted by Linux Ghost in the in the forum post is a ping slash trace route uh, to do either of those two if you want to ping something. Uh, there are GUI ping tools. I have seen them, but they generally tend to be parts of larger packages. Yep. So I, I would concede in this situation that the fastest and simplest way to do a ping is from the command line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so to uh, for those of you who may not know what a ping is, if you're just a home user, um, it's uh, from, think... Uh, 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 let me say how many times I can say, um, uh, think hunt for red October when, uh, <laughs> when, uh, Ramius says, give me a ping Vasily, one ping only. Um, it's, it's, it originated from submarines. It was a sonar ping. You would send out a signal and measure its return back. And, uh, so when the, the defense department was writing the ARPANET, they devised a, a software version of that, call it, called it ping, and then made a backronym to it called the Packet Internet Groper, which, yeah, that's not really what it stands for. <laughs> they, they reverse engineered that. And so it's just that. It says you send out a little packet of data uh, from here to there, and the thing says, I hear that, and here's my response. And so it's an easy way to uh, find latency in connections you can see what the physical time it takes for electrons to travel from here to there is yeah and, and it's then, a great tool it's a great troubleshooting tool as well absolutely and then trace root is like unto it but uh, uh it uses ping but it sends ping packets back and says everybody along the line let me know you're there 
So a trace route does just like the name says. It traces the route back of all those data packets. So it sends a ping, but every uh, router, every smart device, uh, hubs and switches are, are excluded. But every layer three smart device is required to respond to that in kind. And so you get a, a layout of how many hops there are between. Like if I do a trace route, I'll do it right now for my Windows machine while I'm talking. This is live. Um Goodness, bum, bum, right bum. So I'm going to do a, going to do a trace route, and for some reason, it takes infinitely longer in Windows than it does in Linux, and I'm not sure what's up with that. So we'll have to vamp while it happens. But I'm doing a trace route from Disney.com, and the default is a maximum of 30 hops. Yep. So the, it'll it'll die if it hits uh, uh, the 31st device between here and there. But what today's modern uh, infrastructure it is very unusual that you have to go through more than about 15 or 20 hops i mean you have to be uh, in a hut in borneo before you're going to go through that many hops because there's so many uh different things and so uh, i am vamping while i talk right now i'm at 15 <laughs> 16 i just hit it walt not dot disney dot uh, uh whatever uh, level three which is their big thing so the 17th hop is disney.com so from my house to um disney.com disney learning studios.com which is what was resolved when i did that there are 18 different devices that it goes through from here to there you might want to explain what a layer three device is maybe some people don't realize what that is yeah i was hoping i could just skip over that but <laughs> The the good old fashioned OSI model. Uh, there are different the layers. There's the datagram layer. There's the the Ethernet layer. Basically, layer three is anything with an IP address. Okay, that's the simple way to put it. So, like your switches, your that hub that you plugged into the wall to connect to doesn't have an IP address. The router that you're connected to from your uh, internet provider does. So, anything with an IP address that traffic is going through responds through a trace route. And it's a good well, thing to check check how many trace routes or how many devices are between you and there in whatever server you're trying to get to as well. If you're trying to troubleshoot down, who's actually down? Exactly. Yeah, if you just know you can't get to Disney.com, but you don't know why, a trace route will tell you that uh, at Dallas, that the level three connection in Dallas, it went dead. So you know it's outside your network. Your network's fine, and you can presume. That Disney is probably okay, but that somewhere on level three's backbone, something went down. So it's a, it's a very useful tool. Yeah. Of course, there's also, um, is it down? Is it just me or is it down for everyone or something like that? The website yeah, down that does for everyone that? Or do, yeah. Down for everyone or just me.com. There are lots of them like that that will ping a site from a bunch of different locations and let you know if it can get to it from any of them. Yeah. That's a good one. I always like having that tool in my back pocket for when I'm testing what, if websites are down or not. Yeah, when I, I feel worked, like Professor Messer, all of a sudden, I mean, it's like we're doing a Net Plus course. Yeah, when I was uh, working at a school district, I always had that in my favorites because the internet's down. The internet's down because I can't get to Joe Schmuck's website that I heard about right. six months ago, and I was like, "Well, nobody can. It's dead." But right. uh, yeah, and that's what end users say. You know, my homepage won't come up, which is you know, Bob's internet shack who sold me the stuff set the set my computer homepage as their site and their one dial-up connection went offline and they went out of business yeah and so they think the internet's down the whole internet that's that's one of the things that gets me somebody calls me and says is the internet down yes the entire global internet worldwide is down and you're just now finding out about it yeah that's my snark coming out because Uh, it was down Chris, next one. What's what's the next thing you can only do from the command line? Chat room, um, be ready to call him on it. Let's see. Now, this command I'm going to say, it, you can do it from a GUI, but it's more efficient to do it from a command line, and that's Nmap. Okay. Because and so tell us what Nmap is. Nmap does port scanning. You're trying to find out what little machine in your network has port 25 allowed to send mail. You could issue Nmap command that will scan your subnet and tell you any of the machines that have port 25 active. Right. 
And nmap is not a tool that comes with the OS right. necessarily. Uh, ping and traceroute, anything with an IP address has those. It's built into what we call the TCP IP stack. But nmap is a totally different tool that you'd have to to go. And and I, I don't, I'm going to disagree with you. I think that the GUI nmap is just as good and just as efficient as the command line. Wow. We can agree to disagree on that one. I know I use Nmap every day to scan my subnets for bad for bad ports. So, um, and I just have it on a straight up batch command that just runs when I double click the batch. So, and it dumps yeah, it out. Set up the GUI to do that too, and it could even you know run on a schedule. Right, but does it dump out to a text file from your GUI without without Why interaction? Would you want it to dump out to a text file when you can see it displayed in all of its gooiness awesomeness. <laughs> You want it dumped out to a text file so you can run some other command line on it, don't yep. you? Yeah, Whereas, exactly. <laughs> I have a whole bunch of little tools that I run every once in the blue moon to, to check my network out. Um, that's funny. Yeah, it, it comes in handy, though, especially if you're trying to feed it um, other stuff. Because Nmap will give me one thing, and then Ping and Tracer will give me another. Yeah, there's a bunch of things you can map or string together to give you a good set of stuff back like grep and one that i put in the notes uh that i think is irrefutable is uh recovering from an x crash x11 uh x12 or or wayland or these things that are on the uh, the thing the 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 tool that gives you a gui if it crashes you got to know your way around the command line and probably vim to get it back <laughs> Um, I've done that millions of times on like a uh, a puppy distribution where uh, for some reason it didn't go right. So uh, uh, that is a time when you need your your uh, command line foo, or when you just nuke and pave and restore from your backups, <laughs> depending on who you are and how important the system is. Right. Yeah. But there are a few commands that you should know if you're going to be playing in Linux. Um, the first one, obviously, restarting your X crash. Um, being able to t actually know that if you say start X, you could have a chance to bring back your X session. Um, another one that comes in is your different how to use Vim or Vi or any of those command line editors like that. Uh, of course, there are GUI versions of those as well, but uh, those don't run if you don't have an X session. Right. Um, SSH. That's the granddaddy of the command line. That's that's being dumped. At, at that point, all your system has is a command line. Yep. Um, SSH. You really can't do anything with a GUI for SSH. Yeah, there are tools like uh, SCP tools that will let you do some stuff, you know, with the copy commands and whatever. But uh, you're right to do the actual goodness of SSH. You, you're going to have to have the command line. I knew you were going to bring that one up. <laughs> <laughs> I have Cause to. Because as much as I love WinSCP, I don't use it unless Putty's installed too. See, there you go. Because Putty gives you the base for that to actually work, which is still SSH. Uh, SSH, in case you don't know, is essentially the command line on another machine. It's like, uh, you know, VNC or logmein.com or something like that, but at the command line version. It connects you to a terminal on another machine. So. You can't use GUI stuff because you're at the command line. But once you're there, it pretty much gives you full control as if you were sitting at that machine if you're a command line godfather. Or just someone playing with the command line. All right. Uh, and so the next one that uh, that we have is uh, um, screen. Chris, tell me what screen is. Screen is a tool that you can use to either share your terminal session with another person or you can use screen to rejoin a session um, on a remote session, like through SSH. So that way, if you know your connection drops or uh, you start a command and you know it's going to take a couple hours to run, you can use screen to keep your session open and be able to connect back to it um, without having to do a whole bunch of fancy other stuff to it. Um, now, when you say connect to the screen, what you can mean what you mean is connect to the to the command line output. Yeah. Um, but the, the other thing that screen will do is it'll actually be able, you can share um, this terminal session with somebody else so they could SSH to you, run the command, uh, I think it's screen hyphen H and whatever name you gave it, and or no, it's hyphen X, 
and then they can actually see your terminal, so you guys can share the command, the, the share the ability on the command line. So if you're trying to yeah, teach. That's getting really meta right there because that command, that hyphen X, means to use the X11, the thing that we just talked about for the GUI, to send the command line. Not with screen. No, not with screen. X doesn't do that. The hyphen X is actually different. It, it's a different um, – because there's one I – I think it's X is the one that joins you to another session, and uh, it's been a while since I used it to share a session. I think it's X. But it doesn't join an X11 session that says that you want to join a session that's already in place. All right. Now, if you use SSH hyphen X, then yes, you're giving SSH the ability to connect to a X server and then give you that display. All right. Uh, I'm anything else? Anything from the chat room? Any command line godfathers out there who think you can stump me? And, and the gooey kid. The gooey kid has been relatively silent tonight. Command lines. <laughs> There's just nothing for me to say. I, I almost hung up after the news was over. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Let me think. Of, let me try and I'll rack my brain for another one. Give me a couple minutes here. So talk amongst yourselves. Um, yeah, that's good. Let's just have some dead air while Chris thinks because that's that's what our podcast listeners want to hear. Um. um that the uh, basically what we're saying here is that to do anything um, on the technical side, or not anything, but to do a lot of things on the technical side, you need your to know the the command line, and that's what we said originally. Is that eventually, at some point in your Linux journey, or in your Windows journey, or in your Mac journey, you're going to bump up against the command line. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things I had in there is is running a program with an argument. Yeah. Uh, of any kind like uh, you know in my windows world i run, a, run into that all the time say i want to uh install the latest version of flash on all my machines at work and i have downloaded the installer and if you just double click on it it brings up the full graphical click next click next click next but if you run it with slash silent at the end or i think it's dash install they've changed it uh it just does it silently in the background you can't do that. Well, you technically can. You can. You could create a shortcut and open up the properties of the shortcut and go in and append dash install to it and then click on that shortcut. But that's, you know, that's not really going to help you at that point. You're still dealing with the command. You're just doing it through a properties window instead of command. So there are going to be times in, in any uh, OS, in the life of any OS, where you're going to have to send an argument, send extra information to a program, and that can only be done... Uh, through a command line or through some approximation of it. Yeah, I think um, a good, like if you're really familiar with Windows and you've been in Windows for a while, if you think of Windows NT, you know, think back that far. You could do some stuff through the GUI, but you really had you really had to use a command line. I think that in the Linux world, we're somewhere between NT and 2000, where you know there's more and more stuff available. In the sense that being able to do stuff on a command line versus having a GUI for it. There's there's more GUI things, and some of the GUIs do have some of the arguments built in where you can check them or whatever, but I totally agree with you. Sometimes you have to get down to the command line to get it done or to get it done well or fast. And if you're just not that person, if you're the, you know, the grandma... You're probably not listening to the show, but let's say that that you are. Uh, that's when you make the call to your geek buddy or your nephew or your or whatever, because at some point somebody with knowledge is going to have to come along, and that's what bothers me. I'm going to get on my rant again about uh, about the tabletification of the OS. That's what bothers me about things like Unity and Windows 8 and and trying to treat every computer like a tablet is you're taking away that stuff, like the keyboard. You literally can't get to a keyboard at that point. And so it really, um, it moves things outside the realm of the user serviceable entirely. I mean, at that point, computers become toasters. I can't work on my toaster. Uh, I mean, technically, I could crack it open and whatever, but it's it, there are no user, user serviceable parts inside, and OSs are becoming that. And, and to a guy like me, 
that that's bothersome. You know, I'm I'm like the shade tree mechanic who's had an engine hoist tied to the back of an oak tree uh, for the last 20 years, and now cars are more computers than machines, and he can't do the job anymore. So I am sort of raging against the dying of the light. Uh, in in those regards, to we quote will Donald not Thomas. go quietly into the night, <laughs> but we will rage, rage against the dying of the light. I love that point. Sorry, there you Sorry. go. So I got another so, command, uh, Mark. Not not to to derail your soapbox there a little bit, but uh, what do you guys think about rsync? Would you use the GUI tool or would you use the command line? Uh well, because you ask it in that way, I have to be honest and say I use it with the command line. However, it is available in any number of GUI uh, functions. Yeah, it is. But you don't get all the tools, all the extra um, arguments. So, right. But there you go with your specific argument tool um, tax. So, right. One of the things I often use rsync for, and, and, and again, if you're listening, you don't know what rsync is. It's a remote R for remote synchronization. It takes files here and makes them look like files there and takes files there and makes them look like files here. Depending on how you tell it to run, it can copy from there to here, but not back, or it can copy from here to there and not back, or it can make them exactly the same copying changes at both places. And what makes them, what makes it great is it, it calculates the differences. So if you've got a three gig file here and a three gig file here and only a hundred K changed, it figures that out and only copies the changes. So it's great for, I use it for backups all the time, and I use it in conjunction with SSH. So I remote into a secure shell, and then I copy data back, and it's a backup thing, uh, and it, it works really well. But, you know, there are GUI versions on the Windows side. There's Delta Copy yep. that that is essentially an SSH daemon, or you can you can actually run rsync. Uh, I said SSH, it's an rsync daemon, or you can actually run rsync on uh, your machine using Sigwin, which is getting uh, a little more out, but Sigwin wow. is a, is a, uh, uh, in this wine, Sigwin is to wine what wine is to Windows. Yeah. So you, it's a, it's an implementation <laughs> of the Unix shell on Windows. But I've done that. I've run uh, rsync, the rsync daemon, the server essentially that says it's listening for commands on Windows. But there are other tools that do it in a graphical fashion. So, you know, that's me being, the shade tree mechanic again. I'm digging into the carburetor with not the right tools. You know, I'm using a hammer to take the carburetor off the manifold. Yeah, but personally, I use the command line for rsync just because I issue so many commands through it. And uh, there's a couple other ones you can throw in there that go with rsync that you can then grep your output or have it do other things. Right. All right, talk about grep. Do I have to? You have to. Uh, grep is a hard one to explain. Um, grep is like a Google search query where you can say, look at all these things, tell me how many of them have the word pineapple in it. And it'll it'll tell you which files are having the word pineapple in it. Uh, or you can use it to say, um, look at my system specs with... Uh, LSPCI, pipe it into grep, tell me which ones are USB, and it'll show them all USB. So Yeah, it's uh, the grep stands for Global reg Regular Expressions. So if you're a regex guy, the, the caret and the asterisk and the, the dot and the slash, if you know that stuff, then grep is your buddy. If you don't know that stuff, grep is entirely useless to you. Yeah, it, it's a foreign language almost to try and use grep. Um, but once you get your head around it, grep is a super powerful tool, much like anything else in the command line. Right. Yeah, the command line's all about power. <laughs> well, and we're all power Nazis, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, some of us more than others. Hey, wait a minute. All right. <laughs> I think I'm going to wrap it up here. That's been an interesting tour of the command line, I think. Uh, and, you know, every week... Uh, Chris brings to a, us uh, command line tips of the week, and they are things that he thinks can be best accomplished through the through the command line. And we didn't mention it, but URL Wallace in the chat room said gain root access. Yeah, I'm okay. not sure what he was referring well, I mean, to at that point. That's probably easier to do from a command line than a GUI. So. Yeah, I would say okay. so. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, sudo is a whole lot faster. Well, and 
Ubuntu. And Sue. Yeah, sudo and Sue. Again, um, those are some, commands. Yeah, those are commands. There, you could use um, GK sudo with the the run command. That gets you a, you know, GK sudo Nautilus. That gets you a command li- or a root level access with Nautilus. <laughs> Just blew people's mic. That's uh, you know, that's the run run as command. Yep. In Windows, you right click and run as. But yeah, you uh, if you want to. How do we explain root to anybody who doesn't know what that is? Root is super admin uh, administrator well, or like, super admin. It's like in Windows, you can give a an account root and system access. Make what right. it, a lot of people call that the God account in Windows. Right. So yeah, the the root is the administrator. It's the guy who can do anything. The, the computer doesn't ask any questions when root issues a command, which is why you always say never, ever, 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 ever run as root yep. because you can very easily hose your entire system with a misprint. Now, I meant a colon and I put a semicolon. My computer is now barking at me and foaming at the mouth. <laughs> Uh, so you don't do that. In fact, a, a lot of OSs, when you log in as root, will have like a big red warning, like bombs and explosions in the on the the uh, uh, desktop. Yeah, you don't do it. This is stupid. You're an idiot for running as root. Yeah, yeah. I always think that's funny when I open up a, a root desktop and I see the bombs and the exclamation part, exclamation points on the the desktop. It always makes me laugh. Now, in the Windows world, up until Windows Seven, everybody who logged in logged in as root. Oh, much. And hence, hence the reason it was so um, easy to break well, it's, because everybody was root. It, and so, you know, every program you ran had full access to everything, whether you knew you were running it or not. Hence the reason it was yeah. so easy, period, because you have access. You, you right. Know. And then with Vista, they came along and said, uh, put the little pop-up box, uh, allow or deny, allow or deny, allow. And people were like, so these are all the things I've just been allowing all this time and didn't know it. And so they go in there and turn that off and just say, always answer allow, and then you're running as root again. Yeah. Uh, but in Windows 7, even if you turn all that off, you're still not running as root. So they've really fixed that. But it's right. still breakable. So it's, even then, still be careful with your Windows 7 yeah. boxes. So welcome to Windows Weekly, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Now, we do that. We relay things back to Windows because most of our audience is familiar with that. Yep. So if we can explain Linux in Windows terms, then hopefully we can make it a little more approachable. Well, yeah, because they have like 90% market share, so or 90 plus. Right. So if, if, you, if you're listening to this, you probably have used a computer at some point, and you know, the odds are in the favor to say it was probably some version of Windows. So. Right. I don't know, there are probably people out there who grew up entirely on Mac and have never touched a Windows machine because they have such a stronghold in education. The snobs, it's possible. I'm sure there are. <laughs> the hipsters. Well, and not in- until just recently, my son was running Linux and didn't have any problem with it until he ran into a couple of the games he wanted to play. And then he had to go to a Windows box. But, you know, like my mom, she hasn't played on anything but Linux. So that's an interesting thing, too. Do you know they released a new version of Wine? I didn't uh, put it in the news, but Wine 1.5.2 just released. Yep. So. And they're in the uh, 1.6 beta RAM. That's where they're having their beta test now is 1.6. Yeah, announcing when Wine has a release is a bit like announcing when I eat a sandwich. It happens so often, it's really not worth talking about. Oh. Well, no. the at least not in the uh, the... Hundred. Let me say when I eat bacon. <laughs> there you go. I was gonna say the point three, the one point three release has been around for a couple of years, so they just yeah. had a bunch of bug fixes underneath the point three. So this is a fairly major upgrade to the point five and point six. So we'll see. Yeah, and, and in case you've wondered about that, for years in the Linux community, the convention has been to have odd numbers are stable releases and even numbers are unstable or vice versa depending on what you do so you release 1.0 and 1.1 is your broken one and then you release 1.3 i mean wait you you 1.2 is your broken one then you release 1.2 1.3 so if you've ever wondered like wine went from 1.3 to 1.5 that's because 1.4 was everything they were fixing once they get it working they bump it up and call it 1.5 yep 
GIMP is the same way. They use uh, even numbers are broken and odd numbers are good. <laughs> it may be the other way around, but I think that's it. it it's hard to tell because everyone has their own scheme for how they do their beta testing. So, right. um, But yeah, that's it's an interesting thing to know. When you're looking at release numbers, pay attention because you might be on a beta and not even realize it. Right. Yeah, some tools just say this is a beta. You know, and like Google, everything is always beta. You can't buy or you can't find a tool that isn't in beta for Google. So they just, they took the stigma of beta away and said, everything's beta, deal with it. Yeah, pretty much. And we so all we do. Talk, you know, we're running long, but uh, the news thing that we didn't mention was Google Plus's new layout, which uh, which is interesting. It's just like Facebook. Every time a new layout comes out, there's much wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then a week later, everybody forgets why they were complaining. So what do you what did you guys think of the new G plus layout? Of course Seth doesn't I, use it at all, so it was Facebook two point uh, Oh, there is a new layout. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's been um, weeks since I I've personally been here. like it, so Yeah. And then of course there was the whole white space thing. Go go look up Betty Whitespace. Uh you'll find lots of funny images there. But anyway, so we're we're running a bit long, so we'll go ahead and jump into. Chris uh, said that with all the stuff we were talking about tonight, he didn't need to provide a <laughs> command line tip of the week. Frankly, I think he was just too busy playing zombie games to come up with one. Maybe. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so we'll we'll skip over that. And uh, Seth, what what are you have two? You've you've made up for Chris's slack. yes. So what are your consumer slash end user tips of the Well, the first one I have is a website I found. It's called Fiverr.com, F-I-V-E-R-R.com. And if you go there, you'll simply find it's a bunch of people. It's sort of like a Craigslist for jobs, but like um, I will create a video with dialogue between two girls for $5. Um, I will design a custom, professional, and visually appealing handwritten signature for $5. So you get on there and you say, I will do this for $5, or I'm looking for someone to do this for $5. And if you get into it, you can then like do add-ons and there are actually some people who can make a good chunk of change through using this. But you know, if, if you're looking for a way to supplement an income or you're a high school or college student who maybe you don't, you aren't able to find a, a full-time steady job, you can uh, look through here for some ideals and throw some things up there. And you know, who knows, you could be the next uh, voiceover movie announcer guy um, waiting to be discovered. Yeah, this is awesome. This one is, I will juggle knives and chainsaws yelling anything you want for $5. And the chainsaws are extra. Yeah. I, and I've used Fiverr.com before. It, it, it It's a really slick service. And there's a Tenor.com as well, and I think a 20 as yeah. well. Uh, so, just you know, the prices go up depending on what you want to do. But I had some uh, custom-made artwork for 5 bucks. And it's a guy who's a graphic artist, you know, in this day job. And to supplement his education, he takes these, and it, he's got templates and stuff. And it was something he banged out in just a couple of minutes, but it was better than anything I could do. Right. So for five bucks, I commissioned some custom artwork and he did it for me. So it's a, it's a cool thing. I'm service. looking at one that says, I will send you one of these handmade dinosaurs for $5. So if you have little knickknacks or trinkets, like a, a person I know in the youth group at my church, she made like a duct tape wallets. So if she wanted to, she could sell them on here for $5 or maybe on Tinner or whatever it's called, .com. So it's just a way to kind of um, garage... Um, I don't even know the term, but just, you know, make a little bit of money extra here and there, supplement uh, vacation fund or whatever. Yeah. And the way it works is you pay your five up front uh, and then they commission the work. Uh, but the, the art, the person doing the work doesn't get the $5 until you are had it satisfied. So Fiverr takes your money from you to make sure you're serious, but doesn't release it until you sign off on it. So there's some built-in uh, uh, incentive to do things well. Right. It's like an escrow account. I'm, yeah. I'm sure they're point. earning some uh, interest on the daily compounding things too. So good for them. They, exactly. That's the way I, I figure that's their model. That and ads. Right. Is they're, they're not keeping any of the money, but you know, a million people having $5 in an account at any one time can earn you quite a bit of interest without actually doing anything. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was so, pretty cool. Okay. 
And what's your next one? Son? Uh, well, my next one is um, I have to get back over there. Um, uh, MakeUseOf.com, and I will put the link in the show notes. It's just in detailed instructions on how to use VirtualBox to run um, open source images because a lot of times you don't have to like install VirtualBox and then try to install and a distro in it. There's already a virtual machine pre-made, and so this will just kind of walk you through how to do that and get it set up so that way you know you you don't have to dual partition or anything like that or wipe out your hard drive and start over just for a test drive um you know if you like my laptop has a hundred or more gigs free i could throw this on here and test a couple out and if i don't like it it's just a file to delete and this one has some instructions on how to do that it doesn't just say this is a really cool ideal but it kind of tells you how to do it all right, that's cool. And then I put in something in there about uh, if you're going to do that, there's a website called virtualboximages.com. Yeah. And, and they're they, just downloadable files that you just dump into VirtualBox. Yeah, and they, they reference that. Um, there's another one, VirtualBoxes. Um, I think that's the one you said, actually. So, um, yeah. so there's several of those, and they reference some of those in the article. So. Yep. I use VirtualBox images a lot when it comes to testing out um, some of the because some of them are not just OS driven; they're like um, appliances. So, like if you wanted to see, uh, oh, like a Starro, if you wanted to play with their program, um, they have a VirtualBox image you can just dump into VirtualBox and take a look at it. Yeah. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap us up here. We're running a bit long, and I. I uh, uh, I wasn't expecting that. I didn't think we'd actually have this much content, but uh, this was an uh, hopefully educational show. So if you want to uh, do like Spork Saber did and suggest a show that we do just for you, we dedicate this show to you, Spork Saber. Uh, you can do that by going over to elementop.com, clicking on the Everyday Linux Forum, and make your suggestion, request, comment, whatever known. If you want to paste, uh, uh, post a, a bacon flowchart, you can do that there as well. So elementop.com is where you can find that. If you're uh, looking to, uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can uh, go to our website and click the contact uh, or leave us a voicemail button. I forget what it calls, what it is. And, and Google Voice will call you and you can speak your message and we'll play it on the air. Uh, or if you want to just do it from the phone, that number is 559-IMOP. You can check us out on the Twitters and the Facebook as well. Just search for um, uh, Element OP and you will find us. And uh, that's all I got to say about that. So uh, on behalf of Chris Neves and Seth Anderson, I will simply say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.